0: Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. We exist to help people grow in Christ, share the gospel, and serve the community. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message. All right, if you got a Bible, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to deviate. Uh, We'll get back to 1 Corinthians at a later time, but I, I want to kind of point out a few things and kind of go back to the beginning and, and, and to, a, to the beginning with us. And so this is kind of like a, let's kind of put, put things in its proper perspective. And so here's what I want to say before we, before we read the text this morning. I want to take some time over the next um, three weeks or so to kind of get us out or prevent us from going into this spiritual malaise or this, this spiritual apathy um, and, and what I really want to do is reorient our hearts and our minds around who God is, who we are, and what God has called us to do. I kind of, I, I, I want to put before us, what is our permanent posture as Christians what, 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 is, what, is, what is our permanent posture? What is it that, that we always do, regardless of whatever circumstance or season that we find ourselves in? What, what is the permanent posture of a Christian? What, what is natural to us? What is inherent? What is innate? What, what, what is essential to us as a believer? What is it that we always do, regardless of what is going on ar- around us? And the first thing that I want to examine is something that I think that we as believers have devalued, but is actually one of the most significant things that we can do. And if I, I think that if we really understood the, the the power and the effect that we had on this particular topic, we wouldn't see this as a. but we would see this as essential for us as believers. This wouldn't be something that we have to do. It would be something that we get to do, something that we long to do. And so today I want to cover the topic of prayer. I want to cover the topic of prayer. It's so important. And one, one theologian and author by the name of Oswald Chambers said this, prayer is the vital breath of the Christian." It is not the thing that makes him alive, but it is the thing or the evidence that he is alive. That is to say, if a Christian is alive, then a Christian is always praying. But if a Christian is not praying, then we might have to check your spiritual pulse because that might mean that you are not alive. Right? And and so we should always be praying through every season it is so important to who we are as believers and here's the thing there's it is too much going on in the world right now for us not to pray do you know since i've been gone there's been two mass shootings like like, there is a lot going on, and we as, as Christians have a responsibility not to sit on the sideline, but God has gave us a weapon in the form of prayer to engage in what is going on in the world and effect change from right where we are. And so prayer, prayer I want to say this, prayer, prayer is just communication with God. Prayer is communic. What is prayer? I don't know how to pray. Prayer is just communication with God. If you know how to send a text, you know how to pray. And here's another thing. Prayer is not a monologue. Prayer is actually dialogue. Prayer is not just you talking and running up your laundry list to God, but prayer is also God speaking back. Well, I don't ever hear his voice. You don't hear his voice, but you got his word. And it's vital for us to know the word because the word helps us and aids us in the way in which we actually pray. And so prayer is not you telling God what you want and telling God what to do. Actually, prayer is God telling you what he wants and what he wants you to do. And let me tell you this. If God is telling you what he wants and God is telling you what he wants you to do, then God is giving you the resources, the strength, and the provision to do everything that God has called you to do. So prayer should not be dialogue or monologue. Prayer should actually be dialogue, not just you talking to God, but God talking back to you and so prayer is not inward focus or just inward focus. Prayer is also outward focus. Let us read 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 8 says this. First of all, then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity, this is good, and it pleases God, our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God. There, there is one, The Bible says that there is one God, not many, not a multiplicity, not a plurality, but there is only one God and one mediator between God and mankind, and it's the man, Christ Jesus. Who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. For this I was appointed a herald, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. And here's what he says. This is just for Father's Day. Verse 8. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray. Lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this gracious opportunity that we have this morning to study your word, God. to, To come together as a community. Of believers, God, to celebrate you, to worship Jesus and all that He's done for us. Um, Lord, I just pray that Your presence would meet us this morning. I pray that You would help us as we study, as we listen, as we engage with with all of our heart and our mind this morning. I pray, God, that You would do the work of transformation. Holy Spirit, we ask You that You would just fill us this morning as we sit and we study and we listen, as we participate. Uh, I, I just pray that there will be transformation that takes place in our lives. Lord, I pray for the unbeliever today, if someone is here who doesn't know Jesus, I pray that you would just move their hearts in such a way that they would see the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for those of us who are already in the faith, who are already followers of Lord Jesus, my prayer this morning, God, is that we will grow in our love for you, that we will grow in our relationship, that you would make us look more like you and we would desire you more than we desire anything else. And so, Father, we thank you. Help us study. Help us learn and grow this morning it's in Jesus name we pray amen you may be seated in the Lord's presence my sermon title this morning from 1st Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 through 8 is can't stop won't stop can't stop won't stop as I was studying this passage I was taken aback we we've preached this uh we preached this in 2018 and we also preached this in 2020 and I was led back to this passage when I was praying about what to preach when I came back and and as I kind of looked at the passage for a third time to study it in depth I was taken aback about how much importance this particular text ascribes to the prayers of the church I could not believe how important that that this tells us that the prayers of the church is like it like it's extremely vital that we pray like like our prayers are so important it it almost suggests or didn't almost it actually suggests that when christians pray it can have an effect on 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 the way that nobles and dignitaries run a country like like it it, it literally suggests that that if we pray our prayers can affect the way that our political leaders govern the world that, that's power in prayer. I don't know if you ever thought about that, but, but more important is your vote, is your prayer. That you can affect more change in the world through your prayer than, than, than you can. More, uh, you can affect more change in your prayer closet than you can in the ballot box. And I think we as believers get down in the weeds sometimes, and we get in the, in the, in the public discourse, which is fine and dandy. It's, it's all good. But but we, we sometimes negate our most powerful weapon and tool that God has given us, which is communication with him. And, and I think if we understood the criticality of God's call to us as a people, we wouldn't forget or neglect to pray the same way we won't forget or neglect to eat every day. Some of you don't get something in your stomach by 10 a.m. It's a bad day for everybody. But, but you don't forget to eat. You don't forget to brush your teeth. You don't forget to wash your face. You don't forget to put on deodorant. Hopefully, you don't forget any of those things. They, they are natural to you. They are essential. They are germane to who you are as a person. You, you can't do without those things. But can I suggest to you spiritually, as a believer, you can't do without praying. That there's too much at stake in the world today for us to be lax in our prayer life. We cannot be apathetic in prayer. We cannot be apathetic towards God, and we cannot be apathetic towards the church. There is too much at stake. And typically what happens is the church, when we get in trouble or there's something going on in the world, the church tends to call a prayer meeting. But can I suggest to you today that the church shouldn't call a prayer meeting. The church should be a prayer meeting. The prophet Isaiah, God spoke to the prophet Isaiah and said this, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. What did Jesus say? My house, that the church, my house should be a house of of prayer. So it's the most important that we do this. There, There is no limit to how often we should be praying. And here's the kicker. There's no limit to who we should be praying for. There's no limit to how much we should pray, but there also is no limit to who we should be praying for. So we look at 1 Timothy, this letter that the Apostle Paul, who you know, writes a large portion of what we know as the New Testament. When he writes this letter called 1 Timothy, he writes two letters to his spiritual son, his protege, his disciple, a young man by the name of Timothy. When he writes a letter to him, um, he writes a letter to him on how Things should be conducted in a church. And, and so Timothy is kind of like the quasi-interim pastor at a church called Ephesus, where we get the book Ephesians. And so he's, he's leading that church as a young man now the bible refers to timothy as a young man we find out that paul meets timothy when he's young he's probably in his 20s when when paul meets timothy but now at the time of this text timothy is probably 40 something years old around the age of 40 when we see the letter to first timothy and the second letter to timothy which is called second timothy timothy's around 40 years old which makes me kind of wonder because he tells timothy not to be timid, timid and not let people despise you for your youth and that's felt good to me because i'm like oh 40 is young that's cool that's good for me. I still, I still have some time left. But Paul writes to him, and he writes to him about how he should govern and lead the church and, and the things that are of, of most importance. And so when we read 1 Timothy in the first chapter, Paul does what everybody does in the letter. He, he greets him. He greets him, and then he gets right to the main issue at hand. Not what he wants him to do, but the issue that he's facing with false teachers who are are misappropriating and misusing the Old Testament law. He writes to him first to greet him, talks about the Old Testament law, and then he gives a testimony about his own ministry. That's in chapter 1. But then we skip over to chapter 3, and Paul gives his purpose statement in the middle of the letter. It's like he doesn't tell him on the front end what he's writing him for. He tells him right around the middle of the letter, in chapter 3 while he's writing him, and here's Paul's purpose in writing First Timothy. Here's what it says, First Timothy chapter 3 verses 14 and 15 says this, but if I should be delayed, I have written so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. And so here's here's what I want to give you, uh, two things That I want to take away from this text this morning. I got two points and two points only. Number one, prayer is everything. And number two, prayer is for everybody. Number one, prayer is everything. It's everything for us as believers. But number two, prayer is for everybody. Meaning that prayer is not just for the professional Christians. Prayer is for everybody. If you've been saved for five minutes or 55 years, your posture should be one of prayer. So let's take a look at the first two verses. It says, first, for, for, here's how you know prayer is important. Pa- Paul acts Paul like he's of a certain ethnicity. I almost imagine Paul was of a certain color. Paul said, first of all, he said, first of all, it's the first thing he says, first of all, then I avert and urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority. And here's what you need to know of first importance, Paul points it out, which is prayer. Notice he doesn't mention any other ministry in the church first. He doesn't mention preaching first. He doesn't mention praise team first. He doesn't mention children's ministry first. He doesn't mention, mention hospitality first. He says that the first importance is prayer. He, he doesn't mention any other ministry. The first thing that he mentions is prayer. And it's not that other ministries and ministry programs aren't important. It's just that prayer is the greatest priority. Prayer is the greatest priority. It's not that we pray and then we move on and do some other stuff. No, we are praying every step of the way. If we are greeting, we're praying. If we're singing, we're praying. If we're preaching, we're praying. If we're doing AV, we're praying. If we're running the cameras, we're praying. Everything that we do as a church should be aided and pushed along by prayer. I, I, I'm, I'm amazed by people who can show up to church on Sunday mornings just in the flesh. Didn't spend no time with God whatsoever, right? You shouldn't work in children's ministry if you hadn't prayed first. From what I realized since I've been gone, since they've been trying to have y'all move up to the front, you shouldn't be ushering if you ain't prayed up first. You shouldn't be on the praise team praising if you ain't been praying. That that prayer is is what moves everything along. Prayer is what brings what the old folks call the anointing. Prayer is the thing where God pours his super on your natural and makes use of you beyond what you can do in your own ability. We should always be praying. You don't just need prayer in the church. Some of you need prayer. You need supernatural prayer when you're driving to work, headed to your job. And so he says the first importance is prayer. Prayer. It's prayer. It's not for the professional. So if you're saying, I don't really know how to pray, if you know how to talk and have a conversation, if you ever went off on somebody, you know how to pray. (laughs) Raise your hand if you've never gone off on somebody. That's right. You know how to pray. If you ever gave anybody a piece of your mind, you know how to pray. What I'm saying is, if you're going to give anybody a piece of your mind, give it to Jesus. And one of the other first things that we see is not that there's just prayer, but there's all kinds of prayers. He, he mentions there's uh, petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving. So I, I want to say this. Petitions is basically making a very specific request. I won't stay here long, but petitions are making a very specific request about something. You go to God about something very specific and very Direct. When he says the word prayers, he's summing up everything that he says. When he says petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving, right? When he talks about intercession, what he means is you are going boldly to God on behalf of somebody else. You go boldly to God on behalf of somebody else. I'm afraid to ask the question, when's the last time you went boldly to God on behalf of somebody else? I'm afraid to ask that question here, but we should be doing that. But what I want to highlight just for a few moments is this idea of thanksgiving, Many of us go to, go to God in prayer with complaints, but we never go to God with thanksgiving. And I think this is a game changer for us. This is the missing link in our prayer life is that, that we should go to God in thanksgiving. We oftentimes approach God like he ain't never done nothing for us before. And when we pray to God, we pray in our hearts like we're on a on a wing on a on a hope and a prayer, like we're just throwing some blindly throwing darts at the dartboard. We don't know if He's going to answer. We don't know if He's not going to answer. We act like God has never done anything for us in our lives. But when He puts Thanksgiving here, it assumes that we have something to be thankful for. It assumes that God has already done some stuff on our behalf. It assumes that all we need to do to have confidence is look back at how God responds to some prayers in the past and have anticipation for how god is going to respond to our prayers in the future and so some of us need to get down on our knees and stop complaining but start giving god thanks he, he says prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, recognize that God at some point has responded to your prayers, and then you ground your future prayers, your hope, and your confidence in your past prayers, knowing that if you're praying now and God has answered something in your past, then it is likely or it is possible for God to grant the answer to your prayers right now. We should always be in a posture. To tell God, thank you. You know what we should do? We should keep a running list of all the prayers that God has answered for us. Because all of us have some prayers that God has answered before. All of us have been in some situations before where if God didn't do it, or like, or, or like Pastor Trey likes to tell me, if God don't do it, then it won't get done. <laughs> all of us have, should have a running list. We should have a running, a list, a diary, a notepad of how God has responded to us in the past. Everybody in here can look back at some moment of your life and you can't attribute what happened to nobody else but God. That is the reason that you can be thankful. So he says Thanksgiving. But he says we make petitions, prayers, intercessions, and Thanksgiving for who? For everyone. For everyone. It literally means all kinds of people, which means this there's no limit to who we should pray for. Let me tell you this about prayer prayer is unprejudiced and prayer is unselfish. Prayer, prayer is unprejudiced and prayer is unselfish. And so when he says that we should give thanks, we should pray and, and, and petition and intercede and give thanks for everyone. The the word everyone there, you know what everyone does for us? Everyone takes us away from being consumeristic and individualistic in our prayers, and it puts our focus on God and on other people. And so here's what you need to know. Well, who should I be praying for? The only qualification someone needs for you to pray for them is that they are alive. If they're breathing, you should be praying for them. They need not believe what you believe. They need not look how you look. They need not live where you live. They need not vote how you vote. They need not like what you like. All they need to be is somebody that God thought enough of to bring into this world. You, you can pray for anybody. There is no one, regardless of their status or influence, that is outside of God's scope of Christians, to call, of God's cause of Christians to pray for everybody. No one is outside of our scope. It doesn't matter if they're Republican, Democrat, Independent, or nothing else. All they need to do is be an image bearer and we should be praying for them did you did you pray for the president recently he fell off his bike yesterday (laughs) the saints wasn't praying (laughs) did you pray did you pray for the last president i said i said did you pray for the last did you pray for the last president And if right now that hits you and that uh, that sounds offensive to you, that's just maturity flaring its ugly head. It's immaturity flaring its ugly head. Why wouldn't you pray for the person leading the country in which you live in? Why would you wish the worst for the person who leads the country where you live? Does that make any sense? It makes no sense at all. But God gives us responsibility to pray for everyone, and that includes governmental officials. That includes politicians. Verse 2 says, for kings and for all those who are in authority. And, and at this time, of this text, king, a king, the king, should I say, was probably the king that, or the emperor Nero. I don't know if you know anything about, about history, but there is a, a ruler by the name of Nero. And, and so Nero was a horrible leader. And, and, and today, if your first thought is, I, I can't pray for that leader because I, I didn't vote for them. Then, then, then your, your thinking is worldly and not kingdom. Because here's what we know about Christians. Romans 13 1 tells us, let everyone submit to the governing authorities. Everyone means you too. Since there is no authority except from God and the authorities ex- that exist are instituted by God. I want to read that last part again. And the authorities that exist are instituted by God so you all yeah that's God God's man God put him in the office no God put every president in the office so what is our response as Christians submission in prayer we have no excuse not to pray for those who are in positions of authority here's why I told you about I mentioned Nero Mention Nero. Nero was no friend of Christians. He was no friend. Paul is writing during the time during the reign of the Roman Emperor Nero. He is not a friend of Christians. Nero would literally, literally throw Christians to the lions. Nero literally would light Christians on fire and use them as torches to light his garden. I'm not making this up. This is historical record. Nero was was a, was a wicked, evil ruler nero once set rome on fire and he blamed christians for it and as a result of that the christians were persecuted and suffered and died and paul says petitions prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings be made for everyone for kings and those in authority we ain't experienced anything like nero so we have no excuse not to pray no excuse not to pray we are called to intercede on behalf of our leaders we don't disengage from the political process but at a minimum we pray for those who are in authority oh, i don't i don't i think they are enemy i think they're they're unjust they enact uh, unjust unjust uh, 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 agendas and, and all these type of things but jesus says but i tell you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you Jesus says, but I say to you, love, love your enemies and do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. This is what Jesus says. and So we have, a, we have a responsibility to communicate to God on behalf of those who are in authority, not just nationally, but also locally. We have a responsibility for this. More than our social media cultural commentary, our leaders need us to communicate with God on their behalf. We, we have to literally pause and reassess our prayer life. I, I'm just thinking about this. If we are to pray for leaders, it suggests that our prayers have some sort of way that they work with the will of God. And our prayers can affect change in, hearts of the, way, uh, in the hearts of those who lead our country. And, and so if, if our prayers can affect change from people who are so far away from us, what can our prayers do for our own lives? What can... See, see, you have a hard time believing this and imagining this because you don't believe that James chapter 5, 16 is true. You don't believe that the prayers of the, 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 prayers of the effectual, fervent prayers of a righteous man are available. You don't believe that. But if you believe that, you will pray about everything. You wouldn't leave anything on the table because you know that nothing is outside of the scope of God responding to your prayers. But you got to believe this. The Proverbs tells us that the king's heart is like a stream of water in the hands of the Lord. The Lord turns it whichever way he will. This is what the Bible says about God's sovereignty. So we're not just praying for their agendas. We're praying for their hearts. I'm reminded of, Jer- uh, of Daniel. Um, reminded of Daniel. You guys have heard about Daniel. You about Daniel in the lion's den. Right, you've heard about Daniel, but maybe you don't know the context of Daniel being in that situation. The book of Jeremiah tells us that there were some Jewish exiles who were taken from Jerusalem and exiled to Babylon under the king at the time by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was brutal to Christians, but God sent word by the prophet Jeremiah and he said this to all those who were in exile, who were in Babylon, who were in a place that they did not want to be. Here's what the word of the Lord says. Jeremiah 29:7 says this. He says this to exiles. He says this to the people who are in a place that they don't want to be, and they're dealing with hard labor and they're, they're, they're living under an unrighteous ruler. Here's what he says, Pursue the well-being of the city I deported you to. Here's what he says: Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive." Once again, here we see that prayers have the ability and the power to affect change. And you know what happened? Daniel rises up through the ranks while he's in Babylonian exile. Daniel, who is a Jew serving under a pagan ruler, gets promoted under four different pagan rulers. Why? Because he took this to heart. What could God do in your life if you pursue the well-being of the place where you are right now and you prayed to the Lord for it on his behalf? God can use our prayers. Here's what you need to know. The progress of the gospel in the world is advanced through the faithful prayers of God's people in the church. Let me say that again. The progress of the gospel in the world is advanced through the faithful prayers of God's people in the church the church. God uses the prayers of the church to pave the way for the mission of God to be accomplished in the world. But here's why we really want to pray for our leaders. We want to pray for our leaders for a couple reasons. If you look at uh, verses 2 through 4 here's what it says so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity this is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth here's what he's saying if you pray for those leaders and they govern wisely and they govern righteously then we have the ability to live a tranquil and quiet life meaning not a life free of affliction or suffering but what we have the opportunity to do if we are praying for them is that we can push the gospel forward unhindered that we can pray that we can preach that we can evangelize that we can be believers that we can say what we believe we can post it on social media we can say it on tv we can do whatever we want as believers in this country because they are ruling in a way that is friendly and not hostile to what you believe so that we can live a tranquil and quiet life. He says this is good, and it pleases our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Here's what he's saying. He wants us to be able to do our thing and live our life and shine our light and be salt and light in the world while the world is watching without hindrance. Why? Because God God ultimately wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth they can only see him and know about him through observing your life but if we have underground if we have to go underground like they have to do in certain countries or we have to hide our bibles like they have to do in certain countries then what will we do but because we live here we take it for granted we take it for granted but there are some countries there's some lands where people aren't free to be christians where it comes with much persecution. And sometimes I don't want suffering to come to us. I don't want that to be the case in the U.S. But sometimes I just wish it would happen just for, just for a few minutes. J- just so we can stop playing games with our faith. Just so we can take God's, so we can see who is real. We can see what is what. We can actually see who who actually really loves and is following what they say they actually follow. Because I'm convinced if some of us, if a gun was put to our head or we would have to deal with some sort of suffering or persecution to be Christians, I'm, I'm certain some of us will walk right out of the door. But guess what? We don't have to live like that. Because right now, because of the sovereignty of God, we are free to express what we believe. But we still have to pray for it. Because God wants everyone to see our faith. God does not desire that anyone would perish. Prophet Ezekiel said this I take no, God said this through the prophet Ezekiel, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked person should turn from his way and live, repent of his evil ways. God desires that no one, he doesn't desire that anyone, perish but that people would actually be saved and this is God's will he says all people meaning all kinds of people it does not matter where you are from or what your background is the gospel is universal salvation is not only for one type of person not one ethnicity not one race not one gender salvation is for all kinds of people and God desires that all kinds of people will come to the knowledge of the truth that God has brought salvation to all through the finished work of Jesus who died for the sins of humanity through a substitutionary death on the cross meaning that Jesus stood in the place of sinners so salvation is not for one type of person but salvation did come through one person let me say that again salvation is not for one type of person but it did come through one person and here's what he says in verses five through six for there is one God and there's one mediator between God and humanity The man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. And so, I'm going to say this, that it's always been tradition of the people of God from the Old Testament to the New, that there is one God. We are monotheistic. We do not believe that there are a multiplicity of gods. We do not believe that there is a multiplicity of ways. And I know that sounds super offensive in our culture because we like options and we like choices. But if we look at the Bible, this is the beginning of time, this is the beginning of the scripture. It always talks about there being one God. What did the Jews say every morning? The Shema, Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. What did it say? Isaiah forty-five twenty-two: Let all the world look to me for salvation, for I am God and there is no other. Romans 3 and 30 says this. There is only one God and he makes people right with himself only by faith, whether they are Jews or Gentiles. What does Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except what? Through me. So salvation is not for one type of person, but it is through one person. And this person is our mediator. The man Christ Jesus and, and, and this is a beautiful picture this this mediator a mediator is a person who stands between two people who are at odds with one another for whatever reason and, and in our case we are at odds with God and the reason why we're at odds with God was because of our sin but a mediator is someone who steps in between both parties and he looks out for the goodwill to both of, of both parties he can actually relate to both of them and so here's the thing if there's an issue between us and God and We need somebody to relate to both of us. It can only be through a God that is both human and divine at the same time. And so we we underestimate the humanity of Jesus and what that means, that, that Jesus was incarnate, meaning this, that Jesus wasn't just fully God. He was also fully human, and that's good news for you and I because that means that he stands in solidarity with us he feels what we feel he knows the temptation that we know he knows the suffering that we know and so he can rightly go to God on our behalf and plead our case and stand as the go-between between humanity and God and actually satisfy the penalty of God and satisfy what we needed to have satisfied because our sins put us at enmity with God Jesus does that Je- Jesus is a mediator for us so we think about this Jesus doesn't just make forgiveness and salvation possible, he makes it actual. He makes it actual. His death and resurrection secured our forgiveness and restored our relationship with God. So if we sin against God, which we did, Jesus comes in and stands in our place and takes on our penalty. And takes on the penalty that we deserved satisfied God's righteous wrath on us but at the same time Jesus gives us his righteousness and here's what this means for us that Jesus died to death that we should have died and gives us the life that we should have lived and here's what the scripture says in Ephesians 2 verse 8 and I'm almost done it says this you are saved by grace through faith and this is not from yourselves It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. Because you and I could not satisfy the penalty, Jesus did it for us. And because he did it for us, if we put our faith and trust in what he did, salvation is ours. Here's what I love about Christianity. I know that there's nothing that I could do to save myself. This becomes a problem with our generation. We all have a bent towards works-based righteousness. We all think if we do just enough good stuff, then maybe, just maybe, God will accept us. If I pay my taxes, if I take care of my family, if I'm a good father, if I'm a provider, if I do good in school, if I obey my parents, if I do good on my job, if I get good grades, if I pay my tithe, if I come to church and serve, if I do all these things, then, then God will love me. and and then I'll have a chance to go to heaven. But the truth of the matter is, even our good works are tainted with unrighteousness. But Jesus says, let me free you from this. I did what you could not do for yourself. And this is the good news of the gospel. The bad news is that we are sinners dead in our sins. But Christ has made a way for us to have a relationship with God. And so what is our response? Our response to the good news, number one, receive it. Number two, pray for it. Pray that other, pe- other people will experience the good news that we've experienced. Here's what he says in verse 8. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray. Lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. And I think it's so fitting for Father's Day. That when he talks about the order of the church and who should take the leading role in prayer in the church He doesn't say everybody. He says men. But too often when we come into churches, who's leading prayer? Women. But here's what we see men leading the congregation in prayer and in worship. He says, I I want men lifting up holy hands without anger or argument, meaning this. If anger is your portion... Or you find yourself as a hostile person who likes to aim, who's always angry and argues all the time. God says, let Jesus move away those hindrances. Let your heart be clean and your heart be made pure by Jesus. And so when he says men lifting up holy hands, it was a posture of prayer. A sign of surrender. A sign of God, I, I need you. I'm solely and fully and completely dependent upon you. I, I can't do this by myself. L- life is too hard for me. And there's too much, too much pressure for me. I, I can't do this job by myself. I, I, I can't do what you've called me to do. I, God, I need you. Our prayer is just us saying to God, God, I can't do it on my own. I need you. And I want to say this. If you feel, if you're here today and you're a man or a woman and you feel like you're far away from God and and, 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 and you don't know God or you, you feel like you've made far too many mistakes and you sin too deeply to draw close to him. If you feel even confused about Christianity or this or that, you, you don't even know what's true. If you feel like, hey, hey, God, God, all gods are the same. Don't they all just eventually lead to the, to the same place? Aren't we worshiping the same same person? Whatever your hangups are about drawing near to God, here's Christianity. Since says this, God Did not wait for you to figure it out. God does not wait for you to feel worthy of his love. He sent his son to break down every barrier that stands between you and him. Jesus has done everything that we could not do so that we could have a relationship with God. I don't know if you know this but this is good news. It is not predicated on our good works, it is not predicated on our goodness or on our badness but on Christ's righteousness. And let me tell you this, if you want to be a man's man, Jesus was the ultimate man but Jesus Jesus was a man of prayer. He was fully God, but when he came as a human being, he was totally dependent and surrendered to the will of his Father. And if we look at Jesus' life, he prayed before the cross. He prayed during the cross. He prayed after the cross. He prayed in his resurrection. He prayed at all times because Jesus knew that God expects for his people to pray. And if Jesus, who was God in the flesh, was always praying, what does that mean for us? If Jesus could make it without prayer, we don't stand a chance. But God invites us in, not just to pray, but to have a relationship. I want to say this. Jesus is not just our mediator. Do you know what else Jesus is? He's our intercessor, meaning he prays on our behalf that when we don't know what to pray or when we feel like our our heart can't be communicated to God, we have so much pain and so much urgency that there's no way that words can describe what we want to communicate to God. Jesus stands in the gap and Jesus communicates our heart to the Father. So I want to say this, as a church, we've been called to pray. As a people of God, we've been called to go to God in prayer. I'm going to give you this short personal story, it's so selfish but I gotta tell you I was praying on, I don't know Monday or Tuesday, I was in my office praying I was praying and I was praying for people and got to got to Keneken and got to my wife and I was praying, and I don't know why I just had this thing I was like I'm, I just think, I'm, God I want her to be recognized at work I want her to be recognized at her job. I, I want, God, I want you to knock her socks off with some recognition. I'm serious. I have no on my phone. If I'm lying, I'm flying. And this is around, I don't know, 10, 11. I don't know. It it's in the morning. I'm, I'm praying. I'm like, I'm, I'm, it's lit. It's lit. And, and, and it's going up. Whatever words y'all use. It's going up in my office. And I'm praying. And I'm saying, God, let her be recognized. Let, let her be recognized at her job. Let, let let her name be known at her job. And so I, I get finished praying. I, I ain't thinking nothing of it. And, and so I run upstairs, do my regular thirty minute interval, uh, uh, mess with her, just bother, interrupt her workday, run up there. And she's got her got her phone at, at the laptop, and, and it's a call on. And I'm like, what's happening? And she's recording. A corporate-wide, a a company that's a Fortune 500, a Fortune 1000 company with thousands of employees, they are calling out her name, recognizing her for her work. When I walk up there in the room, I'm looking at her, She's excited, but I'm looking at God. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, that's what we're doing today? Oh, that's what it is today? Oh, I forgot a few things. God, did I mention a raise? Did I mention that our church needs a building? Did I mention that I want a few people to be saved? Did I mention a few family members? If this is what we're doing today, that got the God here, it's what it is. And just like that, God is doing what I was just praying for. I'm not saying it was my prayers. I'm saying that God uses our prayers. So if it's something that you need from God, if it's something that or someone that you want to pray for, what I'm telling you, if you put it up on the shelf, then pick it back up and put it on the altar. Everything and everybody is worth praying for. <laughs> hope you enjoyed today's message. If it was a blessing to you, please consider visiting our website, outpouringorlando.com to connect with us and to also give financial support. If you are ever in the Orlando area, we would love to serve and worship with you. Have a wonderful week.